Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, May 4th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we are going to answer some listener questions in the mailbag. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Swai Chern Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hi. All right, guys. So let's get into the mailbag and answer some listener questions. Here we go. First up, uh, Hakeem from Los Angeles writes in. He says, I'm curious, what current slash historical event or subculture would you all want to be explored in a film that has not been either a documentary or a narrative? Love the show. Keep up the awesome work. So that's an interesting question. Uh, Anybody have any answers locked and loaded here? Yeah, I'm ready. I got one. Go for it. Uh, I want the slightly exaggerated story of the ship that blocked the Suez Canal, but I wanted to told in a extremely R-rated, uh, uh, in-the-loop style political satire <laughs> comedy. Oh, man. That is, uh, that's a great one. Um, let's see. Anybody else? The only ones that I was thinking of is, uh, well, the first thing that came to mind was The Devil in the White City, which we talked about in the past and is actually being adapted, I think, into a Hulu limited series, if I remember right. The, along, that project has had like quite a, uh, a winding road on the way to existence where it was going to be a movie at one point. I think it's supposed to be a series now. Um, Devil in the White City, that the story of H.H. Uh, H. Holmes, the serial killer during the World's Fair is a really, really great story. Um, the only other one that I could think of was uh, Black Wall Street and the Tulsa Race Massacre, which was depicted in HBO's Watchmen. But I feel like that was one of those moments in pop culture where so many people, myself included, were like, I had no idea this existed. This is wild. And I would love to see that topic sort of explored more deeply in a movie. So, um, Brad, any any thoughts here? I'm not sure if this necessarily qualifies as historical or subculture, but um, I think it would be cool to see um, a movie that dives into the uh, behind the scenes controversy when uh, Jay Leno left the Tonight Show and Conan O'Brien took it over, and then hmm. Jay Leno took it back from him because there was a, a TV movie made um, by HBO back in '96 that covered the the battle between Leno and Letterman to get the Tonight Show after Johnny Carson announced his retirement. And so I think it would be cool to have that as like a, a pseudo sequel. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, HD, Chris, any any thoughts on this one? Uh, I feel like I should chime in with um, uh, something about um, POC cultures or minority subcultures that have been sorely underrepresented on the screen, but I can't think of many right now. I think this is just because there's a recent Doctor Who episode about this, but there was a great Doctor Who episode about the partition, which I found really fascinating and I feel like could could uh, warrant a feature film adaptation in some way. Um, but this was also just fresh in my mind, but I you know, recently went through all the seasons of The Crown and The Crown season two episode, Vergen uh, Ver- Genheit. Uh, do you know the one I'm talking about where um, it's revealed that the, uh, the former king of England who stepped down to marry the uh, divorcee Wallace Simpson uh, was involved with uh, the Nazis and had at one point attempted to um, stage a coup with the Nazis uh, help and I remember watching this episode and thinking wow this could have been a feature film this should have been the feature film instead of the king's speech like this is top tier British well, drama HT, filmmaking there is a film about this is and it's there? called W and E for Wallace and Edward and Madonna directed it and it's terrible oh no <laughs> I guess oh, careful man. what you wish for I mean, the movie is is more about their relationship and it's portrayed as like this, this grand sweeping romance and it overlooks the fact that they were, you know, like Nazi Nazis. sympathizers and stuff like that. So, hmm. Chris, do you have anything for, for yourself? Uh, I don't know. I, let me just say the one thing I don't want is like, can we not have any like capital riot movies? Like anything, mm. at least for like 20 years, like give us like 20 years to to get over this because I, I don't want to see any fucking movies about like the last four years. I just can't do it. Like I want to move on and like, you know, a few years from now, like 20 years from now when I'm, you know, on my deathbed, go ahead and release that movie <laughs> and my, you know, I won't see it, but for, I, I, I hope it's longer than 20 years from now. Chris. <laughs> I mean, 20 years, if I'm lucky, let's be real here. It's probably like more like two. Uh, the one other thing that just came to mind, I just remembered when I was in college, uh, my friend and I wrote a pilot, a, fa- a fake TV pilot for a, a like a, I guess it was some sort of production class that we were in, um, and it uh, centered on Aaron Burr, and this was well before Hamilton, and I just remember being fascinated by the story of Aaron Burr because in my history classes growing up, it would be like there would be you know he would try to um, essentially like take over the country in some form. And then he would disappear for like chapters and chapters and like 10 or 15 years would go by. And then all of a sudden Aaron Burr would pop back up and try to like, you know, secede from the union or, or, you know, he would get like exiled to some country and then be, you know, one of these guys that, um, that is just, uh, just constantly like there in the periphery. So, um, that I think would be, uh, a fascinating, uh, thing to sort of, you know, take him from a supporting player in Hamilton and, and sort of give him his own uh, narrative there. So, um, uh, let's Ben, see. is there Can a we, uh, like movie? Is like a movie news story? I think would make a great uh, hmm. movie. Like a a movie set on the day Lord and Miller were fired from Solo, like from their POV, or the or the entire true sordid tale of the Snyder Cut. <laughs> you know, who do you cast as Zack Snyder? <laughs> I'm curious if you guys have any ideas like what movie news story in the past four or five years stands out to you as like something I that mean, once the truth is out there would make a great movie. GameStop, obviously. 
which of which I think there are at least two movies already in the works. I don't yeah. know, or yeah. documentary. Um, but I would say then to your previous point, I would say arguably that Hamilton is about Aaron Burr. He he is arguably the protagonist of it, in a way, telling the story. Well, that's true. It, yeah, at at the um, you know, it, it's a bifurcated story, mm-hmm. and I just want an entire, a full on Aaron Burr thing. But, uh, but yes, your point is well taken. Um, man, Jacob, that's a, that's a fascinating, maybe like the day that Disney bought Lucasfilm or something. That seems like 2012. That seems like sort of a, uh, a pivot point for the industry. Maybe you could set some sort of crazy, um, industry related story, uh, in, in that, uh, era. I don't know. That's I don't talk one. about before, but the, the book Disney war climaxes with Roy E. Disney, essentially turning all the Disney shareholders against Michael Eisner in this sort of coup attempt. Uh, and I think that the Roy E. Disney versus Michael Eisner story would make for an incredible movie, but I don't know how you get the rights to be able to talk about any of those people or those companies. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move to our next one. And this is from uh, Matt from New Jersey. He says, uh, hey guys, love the show and appreciate the work that you do as well as the different perspectives everybody brings. My question is this, what is a movie that you feel you could do a one person reenactment of? Mine would be School of Rock. While it is not necessarily my favorite movie, I pretty much know it by heart, and I feel that I could perform most of the movie by myself if I had to. Anyway, keep up the great work. Um, so that's Matt from New Jersey. Uh, Brad, I feel like you have uh, an option here that that I, I feel like this is something that you've thought about before. Am I wrong? <laughs> oh, for sure. And it's, it's mostly because there were a lot of movies that I watched when I was a kid over and over again on VHS that I still remember so well to this day. Um, a couple of Disney movies for sure, Aladdin and the Lion King. And then because I watched these when I was younger, um, probably younger than I, I should have, but I, I, I can probably easily do Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Wayne's World uh, by heart if I was forced to do it. Yeah, Ferris Bueller was my choice as well. Um, let's see. Chris, do you have any any uh, options here? Uh, yeah, I could do Goodfellas. I could do JFK and I could probably do Ghostbusters are like the three I I know like every single word to all of those movies, but also JFK is like four hours long, so settle in, everybody. <laughs> yeah. I have to see you do Ghostbusters, Chris. It's just like I a one man show. Yeah, I could do I could do all though. I mean, I definitely Goodfellas and JFK because those are, and probably Zodiac too at this point. Oh, yeah. Really, really long movies I can do for some reason. So, yeah. what do you got, Jacob? Uh, I have a terrible memory, but back in the day, my brother and I would. uh tag team reenacting men in black on car rides we would one of us would start speaking all lines of dialogue and one guitar that won't take over so uh give me a time machine like and young me can do men in black uh, <laughs> that, that's the one i'll talk that's the one i'll put my hat in there for hc any one person reenactment options this is another one from childhood that i used to watch a billion times and i don't know why i was obs- i was so obsessed with it but uh the 2003 peter pan <laughs> I think I still have the opening sequence memorized and um, I just knew every word of that movie. Do you think that one still holds up? Actually, I never saw that movie. I missed I, it the first time. Around. I think it does. I think it's the best Peter Pan. So, wow. Okay. I mean, if, if, if any adults are, uh, you know, not keen on watching a, a child, you know, fairy tale, basically, Jason Isaacs is excruciatingly hot as Captain Hook. <laughs> Maybe that's something that doesn't appeal to any of you, actually. But there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Jacob, it's funny you mentioned Men in Black because uh, Matt from New Jersey, he sent in a, a PS and he said, um, the podcast that he listened to the day that he wrote this email discussed the best opening credit sequences, and he just wanted to add Men in Black as an opening that deserves some love. So we did not mention that. 
uh, when we were having our big discussion about that. And then um, the actual, the, the next uh, email that we got also references that episode. So this one says, hi, Peter and Slash Film crew. I listened to your podcast while making dinner. I really loved the segment at the end of Slash Film Daily episode 875, where Ben, HD, and Chris discussed their favorite opening credit sequences. Film titles have shifted through the years from being main titles, which take place at the beginning of a film or TV show, to main on-end titles, which take place at the end. Uh, Marvel has taken advantage of this main on-end title format for most of their films and shows. Um, one that springs to mind is from Black Panther, and then this person links to that. So I'll put that in the show notes if anybody wants to watch that and refresh their memory. Uh, back to the email. Let's see. Um, main titles seem to be more prevalent in TV shows in recent years. Some great examples of this are Westworld and Game of Thrones. If you're interested in learning more, uh, he puts in a resource there. So um, basically, the, the question is, can the crew talk about their favorite main on-end titles from films or TV shows or their favorite main titles from uh, just normal TV shows? Uh, that is from Vince from New Jersey. So let's hear it, guys. Any any favorite? Uh, oh, well, Brad, I want to go to you first again because um, you know I, I feel like you're probably the biggest Marvel. Well, you and Jacob, I guess, are the biggest Marvel heads on, on this uh, episode of this show. So do you have any Marvel main on end titles that jump out to you specifically? Um, gosh, I wasn't thinking of any Marvel ones necessarily. I, I do think that they're all cool, but... Um, Outside of the MCU, actually, uh, some of my favorite superhero opening credit sequences are for the original Spider-Man trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a big part of that, obviously, you know, is the the, the score by Danny Elfman. But uh, they they put a lot of work into um, how those credits came together. There's there, one of them has uh, really cool illustrations, and then like it has the this like CGI like web path that weaves all the way throughout. And then I think it's the third one that creates like it, a, a imagery with webs in addition to like featuring clips from the previous movies almost like a previously on spider-man kind of uh recap Mm. um but uh one of my favorite all-time credit sequences is uh for catch me if you can um and it's it's illustrated in like a very uh retro art style and then it um also has that outstanding score by john williams too yeah for sure yeah we mentioned that one during that that one episode that this that vince uh mentioned here um ac let's go let's go back around the horn to you any uh, any ones that that jump out to you here i guess if we're expanding to tv there's a lot more isn't there but the funny thing is the main on end sequence doesn't jump out to me but i just thought immediately of the community opening sequence from A Fistful of Paintballs where they oh, yeah. made a digit tribute to old Western films that mm-hmm. I, I really love. So that one just immediately jumped out to me. Um, the Lost sequence. <laughs> the <part of laughs> it's, sequence. So fa- it's so it's simple so and simple, so fast. But it's so good. It's just like, the I'm not going to make the noise. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, the Game of Thrones sequence is fantastic. I do love that one. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, just, I just keep thinking of the community opening sequence and also the many opening sequences they did in like their various TV tributes. I remember they did a law and order one, which was really fun. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have any, any fun, uh, creative ones that I can think of. Um, Jacob, what about you? I'll bounce back to your, uh, initial question to Brad, which is, is there a Marvel standout, uh, main titles and end sequence in? I'll pick my favorite from the most underrated MC movie, uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, which is a camera interweaving through a massive Marvel sculpture of all the Avengers doing battle with Ultron. And it you, originally it looks like it's a series of statues being filmed, and then you realize they're all interconnected, and the camera pulls back at the end to reveal this massive uh, 
uh, sort of Roman style uh, piece of art showcasing all the superheroes, like literally carved out of stone. And it's really impressive and neat and stands out from a lot of the other Marvel end credits uh, sequences. But in terms of non-Marvel ones, I'll do an old favorite and a recent favorite. Uh, the 2009 Star Trek film uh, ends with lots of cool shots of space and the camera moving through you know, galaxies and anomalies and nebulas and going past all kinds of planets. And it's timed really well to Michael Giacchino's uh, reorchestration of the classic original series Star Trek theme. And I think about it a lot. Because <laughs> yeah, we listen, listen to that Giacchino Star Trek theme a lot. So that one stands out to me uh, as, I think, an early example of that being done really well before it became, like, the norm in blockbusters. Uh, a recent one, it literally, like, less than a week old recent one, I think that the the Mitchells versus the Machines ends with a really absolutely lovely uh, credit sequence where everybody's credited next to their family photo of them uh, as, as, a, as a young person with their family. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely wonderful and uh, ties extremely well into what the movie's about. So those are two examples. Yeah, that's great. Chris, what about you? And we can open it up to TV too if there's any that jump out to you. Man, I can't really think of any other than the ones I said on that that other episode. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I I remember I the only thing that's coming to mind is the recent, the very recent opening to the Last Dance, that documentary where like the oh, fucking yeah. the music is just like really bombastic and it's like edited with people slam dunking. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> this fucking rule. I like I don't even like basketball, but I, that was such a well made docu series that every time that opening credits happened, I was like, yes, this is great. And then um. Uh, another one is uh, what's I gotta read the name of the show, Thirty Coins. It was a recent show on HBO Max uh, that had an opening credit sequence that depicted um, like the the execution of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, but it was done through this like horror movie lens where there's like blood everywhere and there are demons with like white eyes and that was fucking awesome too. Anything wow. that's anything that's fucking awesome gets my vote. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so um, I, for me, uh, the main on-end uh, title sequence that I wanted to highlight was the one from Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I think is a really great one that really like leans into the the project's comic book origins in a way that even the movie doesn't have the ability to do because it kind of has to be like a, a visually coherent movie, and the the end credits just goes like full blown like. Um, scattered into all sorts of different comic dimensions and it's it's really wild and very well done um tv the i mean obviously i love the game of thrones one like uh, like she said but there were two that i wanted to highlight real quick uh one is man seeking woman which is a, just a show that i think more people should watch it's on fx uh, fxx and i think you can watch it on hulu right now it has this really jazzy score uh, for the theme song really off kilter animations in the beginning that i like a lot and then um a tie between veronica mars and the wire just because i love the way that they use the same theme song and how it's reimagined over the course of multiple seasons um i just remember being really uh like thinking that was a really cool idea. And those are the two shows that I can think of that use that. I, same just, I just thought another of another TV opening that I love Batman beyond. Mm. Oh my God. Oh yeah. The coolest animated opening sequence with the, the punk cyberpunk aesthetic, the, um, I don't know the cool base. It's what a, I, I think I wrote about this recently in a quarantine stream, and I just raved about the opening sequence because for me, <laughs> at twelve years old, it was the epitome of cool, and it still holds up today. So, Batman yeah. Beyond. Is it cooler sequence. than the, is it cooler than the original Batman animated series opening sequence? I mean, the that Art was Deco cool style. too. Yeah, they're both great. Uh, one I just remember that I want to throw in, um, the, and this is more. I guess a little pertains a little more since it's an on end uh, sequence is um, the. 
22 Jump Street uh, closing credits where they go through all, oh, the yeah. all the different sequels that followed with scenes and title cards and everything. Yeah, man, that one, that I, I love that one. Where, <laughs> God, just the way that uh, that Ice Cube is like, you two sons of bitches, and they just like insert every, you know, every possible thing. Oh man, that's that's a great one. I honestly um, still, I'm still sad that they haven't gotten MIB 23 off the ground, especially since they talked about how they figured out a way to make all of those sequels canon and then yeah, make that yeah, new yeah. movie. Um, all right, so Donnie from Florida has our next question. He says, uh, first of all, love the show. I play a little drinking game when I, uh, where I take a sip whenever Peter says, I don't know. I've been hammered for years now. Just kidding. Uh, I was just wondering, what do you guys think are some great movies that fall apart in the third act? Examples for me are Signs and From Dust Till Dawn. And secondly, the opposite question. Movies that you have considered turning off, but then the third act saved them. Examples for me are Hardcore Henry and The Prestige. Again, that's from Donnie. So um, let's go to Chris this time first. Uh, any options here? Um, I don't have one that I can think of that gets better in the third act just because, I don't know, I'm tired. And I, didn't, <laughs> I don't feel like thinking one. But one that really stands out uh, for me is It Follows, which is a movie everyone loved. And I really liked it too. And then the third act, they like go to like a fucking swimming pool and they're throwing like gadgets in the pool to try and catch the monster and i was like god this is awful because everything up until that 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 finale where it turns into like home alone with a ghost or whatever i i was 100 percent on board with that movie and then like the last 20 or 30 i don't even know if you could count it as an act but it's basically the ending of the movie mm-hmm. just completely shits the bed in my opinion and it like sour the whole film for me i was like what the f-? like they, they literally like shoot the ghost demon like what the and it starts bleeding in the pool i was like what the fuck is that i don't know (laughs) i feel like the movie like it didn't have solid enough rules for its monster slash ghost thing Mm. you know the so and i feel like they just didn't think about it enough and as a result of that the ending just completely falls apart and that's always bugged me because you know when that came out everyone was raving about it and i was so excited to see it and I, you know, I really liked the first two halves of the movie. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is going to be one of the best horror movies I've seen in a long time. And then they go to a swimming pool and, and the whole movie sucks. So that's, <sighs> that's my opinion. Yeah. That's a perfect answer for this type of question. Um, let's see. Let's see. HC, any, uh, any great movies that fell apart in the third act or movies that were pretty bad, but then the, the ending saved them for you? So for the first answer, I could only think of a movie that didn't, you know, fall apart completely for me, but definitely had a weaker third act ending, but I still completely adore it. And that's the 2017 Wonder Woman, which many people have had, you know, complaints about that third act. I think that the first two acts is just a perfect superhero movie. I completely just love and adore it. And the third act, while not not totally, uh, doesn't make me totally write off the entire movie. It just... Uh, kind of you know uh drops drop drops the ending no, i can't think of the word but um fumbles the ending yeah it drops the ball yeah a drops bit. the ball fumbles the ending in a way that uh doesn't yeah doesn't completely tank it but feels like it, it misses the point that the first half of the of the movie was building up to so yeah wonder woman 2017 okay brad how about you 
Um, I would say, and this kind of actually works on a trilogy level as well, but The Matrix Revolutions, man, uh, what a missed opportunity in more ways than one. Um, the climax of the movie itself is just this big CGI mishmash fight that just is such a disappointing ending. And as the third film in the overall franchise, it really just shit the bed when it has such an awesome setup from Matrix Reloaded that um, created so many cool paths that they could have taken. And it just it's just a very bland, boring, computer-generated ending. Quick uh, side question for you, Brad. What do you think about Matrix 4? Are you excited about that? Uh, I'm curious, you know, I, I think it's interesting that they're bringing the franchise back and I'm, I'm reserving any excitement, judgment, what have you, until we get to see the first frame in a teaser trailer. So hoping for the best. Okay. Um, Jacob, any uh, options here? Oh, the listener wrote in with signs, which I do not think craps a bit in his final stretch, but I'll spawn with a Emma Shyamalan movie I think does, and that is The Village, oh, a Jacob, movie that I think is so creepy, so atmospheric so beautiful and weird and then that damn third act plot twist of they were in modern day all along is just I love it jacob i have it, to tell you i yeah, love I'm this a, movie i'm a big fan uh, of i think it undercuts all <laughs> everything that made the movie scary is completely undone by that the fact that so the scariest moment from the first half of that movie are oh is william hurt in a monster costume Woo! oh fuck off <sighs> jacob no jacob jacob the real monsters are the people you joke, Brad, but come on. It's well done, damn it. I, I lo- I'm just going to say I love the ending of The Village. I love The Village in general. It's actually my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie. Oh, so, man. I, I'm, I'm sorry to bring the cold, hard hammer of truth down upon this last Team one. Team Village. Team The Village. Um, all right. Now I'm, I'm distracted. Is there anybody here that I have not gotten to with this question? I have my movie saved by a third act. Or sorry, a movie saved by a third act. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I, this is an interesting one. It's, it's not a well-known movie, but it's a film called Penumbra. A, I believe it's a Spanish horror film I saw at a film festival a decade ago. And I remember watching it and being so incredibly bored and frustrated by it, but not having qu- quite enough nerve to walk out. So I, I, I went to the restroom. I took my sweet time. I checked my phone um, out in the hallway a few times before I went back in. I left the theater multiple times, bored out of my mind, trying to wait. I thought, it's just worth sitting out. Then in the last 20 minutes, Penumbra gets really interesting. And you realize that the incredibly boring first hour is actually an intentional atmospheric device to set in place what happens in the final stretch. I'm not saying it was worth it, but I am saying that I admire the nerve of a filmmaker who tests your patience for an hour to make the, 20, the last 20 minutes pay off. So uh, Penumbra. Well, along those same lines, Jacob, I think uh, One Cut of the Dead is another movie that... I mean, if you if you go into that movie not knowing anything about it, I think um, could sort of fall in, in those same parameters for people where like people might think it's so bad and I'm going to turn this off. But if you stick it out, then uh, the third act or really the back half of the movie sort of redeems everything you've seen before and not only redeems it, but like puts it in an entirely new context that, that makes it even better than if you were to rewatch the entire thing. So um, that's a good option, I think, for the second part of that question. For me, uh, for the first part, a great movie that falls apart in the third act, I think my go-to answer here would be Stripes, the Bill Murray comedy. I don't know, Brad, I know you're a big Bill Murray guy. Do you have any thoughts on uh, Stripes? Because the first half is like all army stuff and then uh, you know them like uh being in boot camp and all of that and then the the back half actually turns into like this weird like 
man on a mission kind of war movie that just is not nearly as funny as the first half of the, of the film. What do you think about Stripes? Yeah, Stripes is a weird one because I, I know a lot of people have an affinity for it just because it's kind of a classic Bill Murray comedy. But I, I do agree that it's it, it does ta- have this weird gear shift where it goes from being like an, an Animal House-esque military comedy uh, to having a, a purpose, I guess. And it just, it, it feels very, very odd. It, it doesn't ruin it for me, but that's, it's a big reason why Stripes, I don't love it as much as, you know, something like an Animal House or a, a Caddyshack or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's get to our last question of the day. And this one comes from uh, James from Manila, Philippines. He says, hello, Slash Film Team is a, sl- a self-proclaimed film buff. I'm a firm believer that movies are capable of shaping one's life. With that, I'd like to know, what are some life-changing films which you guys can recommend? By life-changing films, I'm talking about movies that you guys have personally resonated with, so much so that it changed the way you perceived life or how you treat other people. I'd love to have some insight as to what films shaped the life of my favorite movie critics. Love the podcast. Love your works. And thank you. So that's from James. Uh, thank you, James, for that question. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a, a big one, guys, that we're ending on here. Life-changing movies. I mean, I, I was saying in the Slack before we started recording that it's like almost impossible to recommend a film that you think is going to change someone's life because everybody's so different and movies hit you different ways at different points in your life. But uh, maybe if we take it out of the macro and bring it into the micro a little bit and just talk about movies that, that changed our lives in some way um, might be more instructive for this question. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob, let's start with you this time. Yeah, this is a, a surprisingly recent one. Probably the most recent movie to have a fundamental aspect in how I live my life. And uh, that's Jordan Peele's Get Out. I mean, I had sort of an academic knowledge of institutionalized racism. Like, I was aware of it. Uh, naturally, you know, as any self-proclaimed, you know, liberal would. But the conversation surrounding Get Out and what it stirred in people and what people got out of it and wrote about it and discussed about it really clarified a lot of things that I I acknowledged and, and understood but didn't really comprehend as deeply as I could have or should have. Uh, and it really has been a film I think about over the past five years uh, of American history. And I just fundamentally think that it opened the door to people like me who always were well-intentioned, really truly understanding concepts that, like I said, felt academic and not, you know, as raw as they should have. So that's one that, you know, um, fundamentally changed the way that I look at (laughs) American life every single day. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. Um, Chris, let's go to you uh, next. Do you have any? I do. Uh, and this one is a big one for me that changed uh, my life a lot. And it's Okja, the Bong Joon-ho movie. Um, because before that, I was sort of considering being a vegetarian. I I definitely did not eat uh, pork. I still occasionally ate uh, beef. And then I saw that movie, which is a great movie, but the last like act of that film is set in this like nightmarish slaughterhouse and they're showing all these things going on to these, these they're called super pigs in the movie, but they're basically like big, big cuddly animals. And just seeing that unfold, it literally like fucking traumatized me to the point where one, I can never like watch that movie again. And two, I just, I was like, all right, I am done eating any, any sort of meat and fish, anything, anything that's alive. Basically I don't eat. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, that was, that was it. And I, my, I've never like once been like, I got to go back and eat meat again. Like, you know, I just gave it up just cause literally because of that movie, it just upset me 
so much. And, you know, those animals weren't even real. So I can't even imagine, like, you know, I, I was able to plug that movie's, you know, vibe into just thinking about eating uh, living things. And I just can't do it. And, you know, I just want to add, I'm not, I'm not like militant about this. I know a lot more people just can't give up meat and they don't want to. And, you know, that's fine. I try not to be like, you know, my wife still eats meat. I don't like, you know, give her cold, hard stares or anything like that. <laughs> but, you know, just for me personally, I just can't do it. I can't go back. It just upsets me too much. So that's that's the big one for me. Okay. Um, let's go to Aishi next. Any life-changing films for you? Oh, this is another sort of recent one as well. Um, it's the, and it has both to do with me and also my larger family. Uh, so there's, you know, been a shift in Hollywood lately where there's been a lot of, a lot more Asian led films and a lot more minority led films. But for me and my family, it kind of started with the Pixar movie Coco. And I've written for this a little bit uh, on the site. Uh, there's a piece I wrote from like the set, the early press day I did where we talked, I talked about the shared customs of honoring ancestors within the, that I saw within Coco and recognized within my own culture. And I basically had this sort of shared experience when I watched Coco with my family where um, it, my my family, my uncles, my aunts, my parents were like, wow, we, we really need to put an effort into making sure that we retain those ties to our past and to each other. And it was a movie that just really touched me and I really moved me. And I saw it several times by myself with my family. And I felt like it helped grow that connection with my family because of that. So yeah, just um, it, it inspired, for example, my, I think my uncle to start documenting uh, the, his, his parents and whatever happened with his, his grandparents and his, his most recent family and that kind of stuff. And to celebrate Zol, which is the, um, the uh, Vietnamese uh, ceremony for honoring ancestors on their death, death day uh, more often and to do it more uh, diligently and just um, kind of that. It, it brought us together and I, I really, I love it for that. And that's something that just sticks out to me the most for being life-changing in that way. It really did change change a, change a lot of, of my life. What a cool thing mm -hmm. that movies can inspire. Uh, man, that's great. Um, Brad, what about you? Any life changers? Um, so this one is is a little bit of a hokey one, but I, I just I appreciated it as soon as I, I heard it in this in this movie. Um, and it's 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 simple, but I, I appreciate just I don't know the, the perspective that it, it provides. Um, and it comes from uh, the movie About Time. And uh, if you don't know, it follows Domhnall Gleeson uh, as this young guy who learns that there's this genetic ability um, for the men in their family to be able to travel through time. And so. Uh, occasionally he goes back and like revisits certain days to try and make them turn out a little bit better and just make his life a little bit more um, agreeable and, and to sort things out. But then as time goes on, he realizes that he can't uh, travel back in time so much because it changes things in, in his present that he doesn't want to change. And eventually uh, he learns this like um, lesson from, from his dad that uh, to live, you know, any day, you know, initially with all the problems and tension and woes that it comes with and then go back and live the day uh, essentially exactly the same, but just then taking notice of all the things that you don't the first time around because you're so caught up in the moment and thinking about that. But then at the end, it kind of takes it a step further where um, he says that he just tries to live every day as if he's deliberately come back to that one day to enjoy it as if it's just like 
this this full day you know that he already mm-hmm. knows what's going to happen and not worry about it and so it's a little bit hokey and uh and cheesy but i i've always appreciated that and then um i guess on a little bit more of a like personal level it's first of all the this movie uh had an impact on me in a couple of different ways um the movie's eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and first of all it was one of the first movies i saw my senior year in high school that kind of opened up my my taste and perspective and I started seeking out um, more independent like movies, more low-key dramas and things like that. But this movie also was one that like I had latched onto because of the relationship at the center of it. And I um, what I initially I initially viewed the movie in this way as this sort of like fateful romance that existed between Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet's characters that no matter what came between them, they always ended up finding themselves coming back together. Even after they erase each other from their memories, they still end up meeting each other again. And I, I, I had, I perceived it as, um, you know, essentially what is a, a tragic, but beautiful love story. But then, uh, not too long ago, I want to say like a few years, I had been listening to Pete Holmes podcast. You made it weird. And Kumail Nanjiani was on it. And I had never heard anybody with this, perspective before so forgive me it's if it's naive and other people did perceive it this way but kumail talked about how uh he saw eternal sunshine as being simply tragic because you have these two people who are wrong for each other but they keep trying this relationship and trying to make it work and they keep repeating it and it keeps failing no matter what um and when i heard that it was kind of uh a revelation in my own life because there there was a relationship i had had um, like a decade ago, that was a troublesome one for me. And it was hard to shake. And it was something that um, if I had had that perspective back then, I might have seen things a little bit differently. And it's a similar kind of thing where, to me, it felt like it was something that just needed like time to work to figure out. But really, it was just um, a bad relationship for me. And mm-hmm. ever, ever since I heard that perspective, I've, I look at Eternal Sunshine with uh, a different different perspective. And I can, I can see both sides. And I think that both actually make sense, which is one of the great things um, about how we perceive movies. But uh, yeah, that's that's how that movie was kind of life-changing for me in a couple different ways. Yeah, man, that's a good one too. Um, so I think my answer would be sort of in that similar vein, Brad, in terms of like how Eternal Sunshine like uh, inspired you to seek out other things. I certainly had, uh, I grew up on a like a steady diet of uh, blockbusters and like mainstream studio movies, basically like Hollywood films. And there was a film in 2005 that came out called Man Push Cart that was directed by Ramin Barani that uh, I saw when I was in college, a professor said, you know, if you go see an independent film at a theater, I'll give you extra credit in this class. And I just did it sort of on a lark and was um, very affected by the movie because it was the first time I'd ever seen an indie movie maybe ever certainly in the theaters um i may have seen like a couple you know here and there before then um you know stuff that's not like uh you know like pulp fiction is technically like an indie film but i'm talking about like really really (laughs) indie movies you know um so watching man push cart didn't change my um behaviors in any way because the film is about a pakistani immigrant who uh essentially runs a a bagel and coffee cart in Manhattan. So it's not like seeing this movie, um, you know, made me like treat people any differently or anything like that as, as this question sort of is trying to get at, but it, it just opened my eyes to a whole different experience and, um, and put, yeah, just like put independent film, 
it, it made it an option for me. Whereas before I just like almost ignored it completely out of ignorance, I think. Um, so that's not like a, a super like personal life changing kind of thing, but it, it's a, it's a turning point, I think in my like cinematic, uh, education, if you want to call it that. So, um, yeah, there we go. All right. I think that's it. Uh, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Home Daily. If you guys want to send in more uh, emails, more mailbag questions, I would love it if you did that. Uh, you can send your feedback questions, comments, concerns, and they'll, those mailbag topics to us at peter at slashhome.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Uh, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on SlashFilm.com. You can subscribe to this show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.